Philippa Tolley and you're listening to Insight from RNZ. This program investigates families who have nowhere to live. Working families with young children and babies are being left homeless and sleeping in cars in Auckland as they struggle to get into emergency housing and are turned off or away from Housing New Zealand. Parents say even with accommodation supplement benefits, their wages can't cover rising rents and living in garages or spending nights on floors of friends and family are the only options they have. Emergency accommodation providers say they're constantly full. In this insight, Lauren Baker investigates the plight of homeless families and speaks to people who say it seems the system is working against the most vulnerable. And just a note, a number of names have been changed to protect people's identities. The seats not only go forward, but they go, not forward and back, but they go side, so they can actually join in the middle and create a, a seat or a sleeping area. So there's a lot of possible configurations. Yes, so um, we can move the front seats forward so that they are like fully sort of out of the way and move that forward even more so that there's leg room to sleep across there. And we've just put the mattress in the back, the single foam mattress, which will take up the space and kind of go up the back of the seats. When we have gone to sleep in the car, the children have ended up just falling asleep in their car seats. A few weeks ago, Anna was evicted from her North Shore home. She says rents are now phenomenally high. She can't afford a bond and has bad credit. The money she makes from owning and running her own business just isn't enough to cover it. So she's repacking the car and preparing to spend another night inside it with her three children, aged between 6 and 13. They rarely park up in the same place. Usually in a public area that's got um, a little bit of privacy but also lighting. So the other day we parked up, well in the next car park to McDonald's, so that there was 24 hours toilet as well as um, we were parked under the trees. So it had a bit of darkness because there's a, it's a lot of light there. So enable for sleep but also security and safety. Anna says she phoned around emergency housing providers but they were all full. Occasionally she's lucky and a friend has spare floor space for them. Otherwise it's back to the car. He's got towels and um, changes of clothes. I've also got little storagey spots. Um, so I can keep in there things that will keep cool. I've got little chilli bags. So um, just we try not to have too much fresh food on us. We yeah. just get by fresh fruit. Um, what do the children understand of the situation? They understand that life is not fair, that you can't force people to be kind and nice. You know what really matters is just that we're together. Um, that people out there do care. There are still people that care, and that will do their best to try and help us if they can. So it's, they're aware of having an attitude of being grateful for what they have. They are of the knowledge that there are people out there with worse off situations that do actually sleep on the streets. So yeah, mm. yeah, it's quite, um, we consider ourselves really, really blessed.
I'm Lauren Baker and this insight will hear from parents who've been forced from their homes with their children but can't break back into the Auckland rental market and end up homeless. Why are support services seeing more and more cases like this and why isn't the safety net able to give them a roof for the night? Statistics New Zealand defines homelessness as without shelter, in temporary accommodation, sharing accommodation with a household or living in uninhabitable housing and includes living in garages, caravan parks or friends' houses. Hummy and his partner Leah have four children between them. The youngest is just over a year old. Their West Auckland landlord asked them to leave in October so the house could be sold, but private rents and bonds are now too high for them. According to Trade Me, the median rent in Auckland in December was just under $500, not including bills. An adult working full-time on minimum wage will earn $590 a week. Because now the price is going up and I couldn't find any place. And I have to start living in the garage and after we get the point sleep in the car. But And after my kids are too sick and sleeping a couple nights in the car, that was not comfortable for them. And then the, my family staying up, taking kids in. They sleep with them in the one room. We ended up squeezing the one room, six people. What was that like for your family then, um, and also living with another family? That was very hard. And kids couldn't move around, couldn't make a noise. And, you know, there's no privacy. And couldn't know, like, cooking properly there. And couldn't know, like, have enough shower there. A friend has since offered to host them at his flat, Hami says it's infested with fleas and is dirty and mouldy, but it's their best option. He says his family of six share a few mattresses, squashed together in a single room. And it's one small room, it's not a double room. It's a single room and six people sleep on it. And every night, and it's cruising, kids not happy, crying, wake up. And I have to, I wake up... Leah fears for her children, who already suffer a number of respiratory problems, which doctors blame on their former rental house. Within their many folders of documentation is a letter from Housing New Zealand about their place on the housing register dating back to 2011. There are also desperate letters urging Housing New Zealand to find the family a home from community groups, NGOs and doctors who worry the health of the children is at risk. suffering due to the damp and cold. They don't want another statistic on their hands. Then this family... Vision West, uh, the budgeting service, would hope that from today's meeting, assistance is provided for this family who are in genuine, dire need and hardship. Uh, this is from LifeWise Family Services, Newland. The girls have regular GP visits and hospital admissions with bronchitis and other respiratory infe infections. Their house has areas that need repair but remain un unaddressed by the landlord. Their house was had cockroaches and fleas and despite regular... Hami isn't new to homelessness. Evidence. Originally from Iraq, he just spent three years living in a tent in Jordan before his family came to New Zealand as refugees nine years ago. He worked full-time until a back injury left him relying on crutches and ACC. His situation continues to change. They've just been offered emergency housing with Vision West, but he says he still has no idea how high his family is on the state register. He's frustrated with the system, saying paperwork sent to Housing New Zealand gets lost and communication is contradictory. And every time they just told a different story. You know, one of them say you're in the higher priority, one of them say you're a B9. They make it wrong with us. 
honest to God, make wrong with us because like every time they told me a different story. And has that been happening for the full four years you've been on the waiting list? Yes, yes, that's all the time happening. Every time, you know, they say to me, try look at the house, private rental. I say I did look at it. I proved that uh, the time I went there, see the other house, private rental, we can't afford it. It's no good for my children from here to there going like a homeless. Every night and every day, different place and different houses we sleep on it. And they have no proper food and they have no rest properly, you know, can't sleep enough and they're not happy. There's no full research into the extent of homelessness within New Zealand. Last year, the Salvation Army released its Invisible in the Super City report. Over three months, it surveyed 1,202 of the people who asked for help with housing in Auckland. 47% of those were children. When asked where they slept last night, 25 children said in a backpacker's or boarding house, 13 said outside, 30 had slept in a vehicle, while 18 had spent the night in an emergency house or refuge. Catherine, her husband, three-year-old son and baby girl were days away from the end of their tenancy with nowhere to go before securing a place at DePaul House on the North Shore. This is the kids' rooms. Well, yeah, it's a bit packed with all our stuff at the moment, but yeah. Yeah, that's all provided here. Blankets, just everything. There's abundance of everything. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Proper thick blankets as well. Yeah, for winter, yeah. And just, yeah. Just your yeah. Yeah. DePaul has space for 12 families, but staff there say they're always full. All of these families have had at least one income, but it wasn't enough. This mother lived with her two girls in a garage with broken windows and exposed wiring and paid $250 a week for the privilege. My auntie um, owned the house, but we was living in the garage. How long did you live in the garage for? I think it was six years. Six years? Yeah. We used our auntie's um, toilets and bathroom, things like that. At night, it's really hard for us, especially the girls. Your children were very small when I you know. first moved in. Yeah. yeah. You know, every time when I look at my kids, I feel so sad. Yeah. yeah. And I feel so sorry about them. And that story isn't a one-off. This mother also paid for herself and six children to live in a garage with very limited amenities. Two single bed and one double bed in there. One of the children had to sleep on the floor, take turns. The cooking facilities, what were they? It was just an electric stove. It, it, it took a lot of time, so long to cook one thing. It was only one plate that was working, so I had to do that for an hour and a half, and after that I had to do the other part. So I had everything prepared and then I just wait there. School was not good for them at that time uh, because I, I, I worked night shift, but there were times I had to take the children with me. We lived in that garage for like in a year and a half. Despite the risk of eviction if landlords find out, many resort to family homes that are already overcrowded. One option for this woman was to live with her brother. But he already had a full house at the same time because he's the only one left with the house, if anything. If we had all moved in, there would have been about 18 of us in the one house with all our, other, with all our kids. Because my sister was there with three or four kids, then there was my brother and his three kids. My two uncles were there, my mum was there, my two other brothers were there. Everyone who spoke to RNZ said staying with their family wasn't free, but it just wasn't as expensive as market rents and they didn't need a bond. 
If there's room, families asking for immediate help can be placed in boarding houses, motels, or campgrounds, or be referred by work and income officers to one of eight emergency housing providers around Auckland. They could also turn to other smaller providers who aren't on the list. But although the emergency accommodation is meant to be temporary, some are staying for far longer than the expected three months. This woman has now been at Depaul for over a year. She says Housing New Zealand offered her a house once, but it wasn't appropriate. I said, "How many bedroom?" And they said, "Two bedroom." I said, "I'm very sorry, but I think you've got the wrong person." I said, "No, no, this is you." And I said, "Yes, but I've got six children. We are still waiting." She says there haven't been any offers since. It's a situation Corey Haddock says is causing congestion in the system. The emergency accommodation becomes the bottleneck. So you know, as important as and essential as the emergency accommodation is, you know, the the focus should be that it's a it's a temporary, you know, short solution for to, for the issue. If people were staying there for six, nine, twelve months, oh, too long. Yeah, I mean, anything over three months is probably too long. Corey Haddock is the co-chair of the New Zealand Coalition to End Homelessness. He says housing provision is a basic right, and that New Zealand is failing its children. He says there are problems between Housing New Zealand and the organisation that's taken over running the waiting list, the Ministry of Social Development. They're blind to each other, and that you know MSD don't know what housing is available, and Housing New Zealand don't know you know who's you know who's looking for housing. There seems to be a challenge around addressing that. So would that contribute to the bottleneck then? Oh, definitely. I think it just slows everything down, doesn't it? And so then you know. It means that people are in emergency accommodation longer. You know, the process moves at snail's pace for for some people. In terms of emergency housing, the Ministry of Social Development has about a hundred places on its Auckland database of emergency providers, but they're almost always full. It's something staff at the Salvation Army's Community Ministry in Monaco know all too well. <laughs> The sizeable waiting room is almost full of parents and children. One of the social workers, Esteban Espinosa, has been there for 17 years, but says the situation is now the worst he's seen it. One family he's just helped couldn't keep up with a single jump in rent from $420 to $500 a week. They have seven children, including one child who suffers from terminal cancer and who uses a wheelchair. They asked the church to take them. Church had already、uh, the rooms full with people who were also homeless, so some family of of the church took them, and they lived in the in the in the driveway. So the little children shared the rooms of some other children inside of the house, and the boy with the wheelchair and mum and dad were、uh, slept on the van. On my word, that would have been an emergency, because we're talking about seven children, we're talking one with a very serious medical condition,、um, but in In, in this planet now, obviously, it's not longer, not even、uh, honoured to respond an email. What about the situation with spaces with emergency accommodation providers?、Mm-hmm. With the the Tom and family, for example, could they go anywhere? Well, impossible to place、um, in the l- level of local facilities a family with seven children. Most places won't take children because of the other type of clients they live there. Uh, some who will take children, knowing that some of the other residents may not be appropriate to be around children, had no spaces. I mean, everything is taken. Housing is a very good business for some people, 
landlords and, and those who know how to operate the economy have uh, become very wealthy uh, out of the suffering of, uh, of these families. The, the worst part of this ugly joke is that we, the taxpayers, are subsidizing the, the landlords. In November, the Citizens Advice Bureau reported there was a national shortage of emergency accommodation and that for many families, that supposed safety net was non-existent. The Bureau said it alone had 3,000 inquiries about emergency housing in one year. Although some providers are awarded contracts by the government, not all are, and they don't cover the total cost of running the accommodation. In September, the government announced $2.5 million would be made available to NGOs to deliver more emergency housing. Negotiations are underway to decide which ones the money will go to. Corey Haddock says for the most part, help for those most at risk is paid for by the goodwill of others rather than government cash. With homelessness, it isn't a recognised social issue, and so those agencies and organisations that are on the front line responding to you know, the needs of people experiencing homelessness, they don't get government resourcing to do that. And so you know, they're doing it you know, with you know, donations and grants and, and, you know, and funding from churches and things like that. So you know, $2 million from the government is a good start, but it is a start. And, uh, and you know, more is needed, you know, more resourcing, more understanding, more relationships. You know, the reality is, is that organisations you know, probably need to work together more, and that's you know, government and not-for-profit organisations. And you know, I mean, first and foremost, I think you know, we need an acknowledgement from government that you know, there is a, there's a housing crisis and a homeless crisis, and, uh, and we need to do something about it. Mr Haddock says as well as no official recognition of the issue, government departments fail to work with each other well enough. It seems support staff are also reporting problems with the Housing New Zealand application system and that despite a clear need, DePaul House says many of the families it works with were refused a place. These women say it was only when they got help from an advocate that they not only got on the register, but in some cases were prioritised. I did, but and I went through once with that, and then they keep asking me to come back with all these other different documents and then provide um, some other documents through for the, from the real estate and get references and everything. It was just complicated going through once. I rang the Housing New Zealand for help. You know, they said that I'm not qualified. My income is not good as well. You know, sometimes when you go there and you feel like uh, they're going to say the same thing, like go and look for a private rent. We had tried uh, years ago, and but we tried to do it ourselves and it was like and you're getting interrogated. I just hated it and I just, I found it way too stressful. They weren't nice. <laughs> they weren't. It was like a, we're doing a business transaction or something, you know. The complexity of the system is even felt by those in Parliament. Obviously that process isn't really that transparent with Housing New Zealand, so we had to just draw up our own uh, diagram so we could try and find out at what points people are getting stuck and also at what points people are being pushed out of the system in terms of um, eligibility or... In her West Auckland electorate office, Labour's spokesperson for social development, Carmel Sepoloni, explains a hand-drawn flowchart on the wall. The three sheets of A4 paper are covered in post-it notes and highlighter, it helps her and her staff understand not only the system, but where people often fall off the register. She says even those still on the waiting list struggle. Once they're on the social housing register, we've had a number of cases that have come through our office where their paperwork has been lost. We're finding that the communication between the Housing New Zealand 
um, unit in Work and Income New Zealand and the Housing New Zealand um, Central Housing Unit is um, not clear. So there seems to be a bit of a breakdown in communication there. People aren't aware of where they are even placed on the register. So many of them don't even know if their name has been added to the register or not. They aren't aware when, for whatever reason, they go down in ranking. And so obviously if you go down in ranking, then you are less likely to be able to get a home. But the system does work for some families. Ariana and Bill are packing for their imminent move from emergency housing at the Island Child Trust in East Auckland to a housing New Zealand home. They were on such a tight budget that the impact of having to pay for car repairs was devastating. How it all began was that we decided to get off a benefit and do it the right way because that's what you're supposed to do but he was still working I should have got a job before we made that transfer and then so we cut it yeah we ended up in a financial rut because his job ended up having reduced income cutting hours so yeah and then I quickly got a job within about a week straight across the road from us at the um, at the old folks hospital and so from there, we were both working and it was going very well. It was like going really good <laughs> until our car broke down. They completed a 12-week residential program at Island Child and were offered a state house at the end of it. It's not quite in the area they'd hoped for, but are taking it, fearing they might be kicked off the register under stricter new refusal rules. But for the director of Island Child, Danielle Bergen, it's a rare success in a sector where the extent of the problem appears unrecognised and the solutions are underfunded. I'm seeing it getting harder and harder. I'm seeing housing getting harder. I'm seeing more increased barriers of people who are helping people. I don't believe any spin doctor bullshit that's coming out of Wellington. I'm over it. I'm a realist now. Two years ago, the Ministry of Social Development took over the responsibility of the housing register from Housing New Zealand. Danielle Bergen says the fear no one was being listened to led to the creation of the Auckland Emergency Housing Providers Network. But even now, she wonders if the system is failing families on purpose. She says when she started in the sector eight or nine years ago, state housing could be arranged within five days. Then it progressed to three weeks. Then several years ago, we may take six weeks to get them into a state house, five to six weeks. Now, the emergency house providers can no longer talk directly to the housing providers. So we can't talk directly to Housing New Zealand. So we have to go through a go-between, which is work and income. Work and income has done a mandatory 12-week residential time frame for emergency house providers. What does that mean? That means that uh, from the time a person arrives here, they will not be offered their house for a minimum of 12 weeks. So it's like holding paddocks. I, I just feel like we're stock ho- holding stock. I don't know whether it's been engineered to slow down the amount of houses that get issued. I'm not quite sure whether it's out of good intentions. Paula Bennett is the Minister for Social Housing and her portfolio includes both emergency housing and Housing New Zealand's register, on which there are currently about 4,500 waiting applicants. She says with people on the list also needing other help and benefits from the Ministry of Social Development, MSD took it over to avoid doubling up of work and to try and provide better wraparound services. 
but she acknowledges there have been issues with it. We're always learning, developing and improving and I don't think it's as good as it can get right now but it was a major operation to move that over uh, and I think we're doing better than we were uh, but you know, as, as we do it we learn more about the people that are on the register, what their needs are, we, we are able to develop new products and what we looked at for example was a number of things so why weren't some people going into private rentals they didn't have any savings, so they couldn't pay a bond. They couldn't pay actually even the moving truck to move their things into the property. So when we looked at the cost analysis, it made real sense to actually be providing that money up front for some people. Another new initiative that we've done recently is where, you know, there's a number of people going for one private rental property and beneficiaries were often at the end of the queue. So we provide some with a letter that talks about, uh, that states quite clearly what their entitlements are and that they're able to pay a bond and rent in advance so they can show that to the landlord and we're finding that it is putting people further up the front of the queue and they're getting more of a fair go. The minister says there's recently been a review of the housing register but says in some cases the fault lies with the families themselves. We're in the um, process of looking at the assessment process and you know, we too have heard um, you know, some, some feedback, particularly from providers that work with the people that are trying to get on the register or, or are on the register, and we're keen to make improvements you know, if, if we are seeing examples like that. What we often look at, though, when uh, you know, certainly when media might raise a particular um, issue with a particular family, is that we don't have all of the information, that their situations change very quickly, um, and they haven't informed us, so they're often not on the right rating that they could be in priority, and we could raise them higher. So, you know, look, I think it's working um, better than it has, but as I say, we're always open to improvements. Um, it is a big system. It's working with literally, you know, hundreds of thousands of people over a year, and, you know, we do want to be getting that right. With some of these issues, though, and... and, and I mean, I wouldn't say it's a one-off because almost everyone I've spoken to, to to make this piece has detailed some of the problems they've had. Is this not making the situation worse in the end? Because what you've got is is um, if people can't get into a state house, they're ending up in emergency accommodation for longer, which means that families who are homeless can't even get in. I mean, is, is it not clogging up the whole system? We simply can't say that people aren't getting on the register when we've got 4,500 at any one time. Um, and that is turning over daily, so people are coming off and going on. But as has been well documented, and I have stated many times, you know, we do not have enough social houses in Auckland in particular you know, for the need that is there, so we have to have a priority. To ease the issue in the short term and in a bid to help larger families, some in the sector suggest easing the rules on how many people can live in a Housing New Zealand house, Others suggest a community-led intervention with homeowners offering to open their spare rooms. But in the long term, both support workers and those using their services, like Catherine at DePaul House, say the key is in more houses and lower rents. I've got a friend living in her car with three kids. And it breaks your heart because there's nowhere for them to go. You know, she's tried ringing emergency places and they're full up. It just sucks, you know, because your wage doesn't compare to the rent. It's just stupid. It's, yeah, something's got to change. 
I'm Lauren Baker, and that's Insight for this week. If you have any feedback, you can contact us via email at insight at radionz.co.nz or our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. I wrote and presented that programme. It was produced by Philip Atolli with technical production by Phil Benge.